0: church podcast. My name is Max Terman. It's already off the rails, and with me this week is never gonna give you up, Daniel Ryan. Yes. yes. Never gonna let you down, Scott Reed. Thank you. Never gonna run around and desert you, Bill Muffin Cow. <laughs> Bill runs around all the time. He runs everywhere, but he doesn't desert you. Yeah. He takes you with him. Uh, Bill, would you pray for us?
1: All right. Lord, we thank you for this day. What a great thing to have a reprieve from winter for a day. Mm. Thank you, too, for being part of this podcast. I pray you fill us all with your Holy Spirit, that we'd have something meaningful to say, not only to one another, but to the listeners. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Scott, you've brought a... W- well, Daniel's brought a Daniel Would You Rather card, yeah. courtesy of Bruce Gaylord. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Scott. So now I, uh, now I have
0: it. I, may, I guess I'll read it now. Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions and would-you-rathers <laughs> and yeah. trivia quizzes uh, and uh, jet ski donations. And jet ski fund donations true. to We're podcasts really at starter. We haven't had a jet goals. ski fund donation in all of 2022. That is true. Yeah, Basically, ever since Dan Marcello left, our anonymous donations have disappeared, and oh, I don't know why. Man. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. uh, so, Scott and Crowd Bruce Gaylord sent in some Would You Rathers. True. You can send in your would you rather's however you please, including as a bookmark in Daniel Wright's Bible. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I got this, this card from, from a different version of would you rather. And you can, you can see here listeners, Yeah. this one's this color, but this one's a different <laughs> color. Oh <my> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I don't know where this one came from, but Daniel gave it to me and I'm going to read all of them because it might not ever be here again. Uh, so we'll just quickly say our answers to each of these questions. Hmm. Going around the table, starting with Daniel, ending with me, uh, going clockwise. Daniel, would you rather get lifelong season tickets to your favorite sports teams or twenty thousand dollars?
3: Lifelong season ticket to mm. my favorite sports team. Yeah,
2: I don't.
0: I think I'd take the money because my favorite sports teams are all in a different state. <laughs> That's a good
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> same for me. No, I take the money.
2: Yeah, yeah. Same for me. Grant, i gonna take the money anyway. Bill's lifelong tickets will probably last longer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Daniel. Would you rather th- <laughs> throw yeah. up into a high-speed fan? <laughs> oh, no. We don't know which direction is facing them. That's true. Admittedly, who's the name? That <laughs> uh, or lick dead bugs off of a car windshield.
3: Wow. I would. I would throw up into a high-speed fan. Right. Yeah. Why? It's all. It's all me. It's all it's you, all baby. Well. It's 100% a,
2: juice for 100% <laughs> Daniel.
3: <laughs> uh, I
0: mean, yeah, I guess I'm going to throw up into a fan. If for no other reason than, like, it's over at that point, point. then you can shower and everything's fine, but, like, you lick the bugs off, and, like, I yeah. feel like my mouth's going to taste like windshield for a while. True. The bugs I'm fine with, but windshields. <laughs> oh,
1: they're gross. on the windshield. Smashed on the windshield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: Wow. I've heard Ants. No, there wouldn't be ants on your windshield, but I've heard ants taste very sour. Huh. Mm.
2: So just food for thought in case you're thinking about the bugs. Well,
1: I guess I'm going with the throw up into the <laughs> high-speed fan.
2: <laughs> I will point out, it doesn't say how many dead bugs are on this car windshield. It's mm-hmm. at least two. It's at least two, but that's all we know. But oh. I would also probably go with the. I'm going to assume there's a lot. I'm going to go with the, the high-speed fan, too. I feel like you, you th-
0: might be able to dodge, too, with the fan. Like mm. if you can kind of you know crane your neck a little bit.
3: True. So. Interesting little tidbit. Every guy who I've asked that question to chooses to throw up. All the girls have chooses chosen lugs. the bugs.
0: Hmm. Um, what about long-haired men? Have you asked a lot of long-haired men? I've been
2: questions? of long-haired Zero. men. Daniel, would you rather have a tongue made of hair or have hair made of tongues?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Whoa. There's there's pros and cons to both. Um, I would. Um, I'd rather have hair made of tongues and then just get it, like, cut off and get oh, haircuts. Ah, I, I'm, I imagine
2: no, you would feel that. Oh. No, don't do that. Oh, that's <laughs> really? aw- Your you're gonna Your tongue has a nerves, man. And half? you taste it. You Why? taste it and you feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. Okay, Max?
0: <laughs> I'm going to go with the hairy tongue because that's not disgusting. <laughs> it's not a
3: hairy tongue.
0: Yeah, it's a tongue made of hair. It says a tongue made of hair.
3: That is what it says. That's so weird.
0: I'm going to have to shampoo it, I guess. You could cut that off. I think at some point, (laughs) I guess that's true. It's going to make my speech very interesting. I'm going to have sort of like a thistly kind of sound to all of my words. Hmm. All right, Bill.
1: I think I'll go with a hairy tongue, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same. I can't think of any, because at first I was like, man, then the top of your head could taste stuff. And I was like, there's nothing tasty going on top of my head. Like, let's be honest. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a benefit to me. How often do I roll around in powdered
3: sugar? (laughs) But then you can cover the tongue hair. Yeah. So then you just, you can still taste stuff normally. If
0: it was one long tongue, I'd think about it. Like that guy from Star Wars. <laughs> okay. Um, Daniel,
2: would you rather greet people by slapping them or passionately kiss them whenever you say goodbye?.
3: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know which one I want you to choose. I want to slap people yeah, when I, I say think, hi. I think that's good Yeah, for your position. I think I would also slap people. <laughs> I already do.
1: Well, I'm picturing slapping them on the back, so yes.
0: Oh, well, I'm thinking yeah. of passionately kissing their hand. <laughs> well, I've got this Morticia. great new tongue made out of hair,
2: so I think I should put that on display and start kissing everyone. Oh, uh, yeah, I think I'd slap people, too. I think I'm going to be pretty, like... Weirded out, too upset either way, so I might as well have more fun. Yeah. Well, that's true. I slapping people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Daniel, would you rather be able to beat anyone at thumb wrestling or beat anyone at tic-tac-toe? Whoa. Um, beat anyone at thumb wrestling.
0: i take tic-tac-toe 100%. It's a solved game. So can you imagine if someone just appeared who couldn't lose, who would al- not even just would always draw, like you
2: always win at tic tac toe. Yeah, it's like you, the other person's like, I know where to put the thing. No, I put it oh, in the
0: wrong right no. Yeah, you'd be a mathematical uh, impossibility. Uh, That'd be mm, pretty cool. Uh, hmm. You oh. do a lot of thumb wrestling, though, Bill.
1: <laughs> well, not really. At alpha,
0: you do. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> right after joke time comes
2: thumb wrestle time. Oh, I'll
1: just go with thumb wrestling.
2: <laughs> My initial thought was tic tac toe. But then I thought like I'm sure there's like a world championship of thumb wrestling. Oh, there, oh, there it is. is. There, there it is. That'd be that'd be kind of fun to like just go in and be like let's see what happens. Go for it, thumb. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Do, Do your that? thing. <laughs> you could be going up against like this huge guy who has a huge thumb. Yeah, massive thumb. And your thumb. tiny thumb is just like beep. This so is a David and Goliath
0: thumb sort of situation. You just poke his thumb right in the center, and it collapses. <laughs> and it cut off its head. Uh, who's up this week for uh, J. Stephen Lang? It's Scott. Scott. I definitely went last week. Well, I have Daniel's name written down for last week. So
2: because I gave you the time.
0: Oh. You remember that? Oh yeah. You gave me the time. All right, Daniel. Give me a number between one and a thousand and one. Three hundred and sixteen. 316. I, Clever. I, I, that's good. I wonder if we've yeah, done that. Good. I wonder if we did that the last time we did this. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. This. Uh, um, sorry, listeners, I should have introduced it. Uh, this comes from the book "A 1001 Things You Always Wanted to Know About the Bible but Never Thought to Ask by J. Stephen Lang, just in case we have any first-time listeners. Um, uh, this comes from the section People in Groups, number 316, The Freemasons. The Masons claim, and then in parentheses, without basis, (laughs) to trace their organization to the builder of Hiram of Tyre, who aided Solomon in, oh, to the builder, Hiram of Tyre, who aided Solomon in the building of the Lord's Temple. I just read about that this morning. Well, and you're going to have a lot to say. (laughs) I I think it's Hiram. 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 I have a...
1: There's a Hiram College in Ohio.
0: I have a distant relative named Hiram.
1: Okay.
0: Um... Anyway, my, uh, more on that in a second. Uh, most likely the group originated centuries later in the guilds of English stonemasons. I love the editorializing by Jay yeah. Stephen Lang. Um, I'll start with mine because I can get out of the way quick. Uh, there's very few Max Terman's in the world. Technically speaking, I believe I'm the only Mackenzie Terman, M-A-C-K, the only Mackenzie Terman in recorded human history. I've never been able to find another one, uh, which is pretty exciting. Terman's not a very popular name anyway. There is another Max Terman who's like an entomologist, um but he's also like a like a he is a historian like on the side for fun, and he wrote two books about hiram turman hiram Hiram Terman, who you
1: might be right,
0: but I, I, don't I know.
1: know that there it's Hiram College. well,
0: then there you go, I, probably Hiram Terman who fought in the Civil War. So if you want to read I think it's called like Hiram's Journey or something, it's written by a Max Terman that isn't me, and it's about someone who probably is related to me. <laughs> Um, so Scott, you just read about this. I did. What
2: have you been today? what did you read? I read about how King Solomon and Hiram, King of Tyre worked together what? to build the temple. <laughs> was it a good
0: thing that he was working with <clears throat> Tyre? I feel like oftentimes, I mean, the only time that comes to mind is when God says like, you went to the Egyptians for help instead of me. And for that reason, like they'll
2: abandon you. And it doesn't seem like a bad thing. Okay. It says that Hiram, had always been on friendly terms with David. And so Solomon sent him a message. He was like, hey, can you help me cut some trees and rocks? And he was like, yeah. Mm. So they did. (laughs) They cut a lot of trees and rocks. (laughs) They built the temple.
1: (laughs) Mm. So then at the end, Solomon pays him with 20 cities.
0: He gives him 20 cities.
1: Yes. And Hiram gives him a name, something like... Kabul, the meaning worthless. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the, the word as much as I remember these are worthless. Wow. So yeah. but then they keep working together. So you wonder, were they totally worthless or were they just a disappointment? Or was he negotiating saying this is worthless, but he took it anyway? What what was that? But it doesn't look like it ruined their friendship.
2: Huh. Wow. I don't think I read that part today, so I don't know.
1: No, it's yet to come. It's yeah. got to be all done and the payment comes uh,
2: in. Oh, sure. Mm. Yeah. How long did it take to build the temple? Seven years? Mm-hmm.
0: That seems really fast for it being, like, the temple. I don't know. Wait, didn't it... How many times did they build this temple? Well, this was the first. This is the first mm-hmm. one. Because then... Uh, so when Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, don't the people... That was the second. That's the second temple. And don't they say, like, it took 40
1: years or something? Yeah, I think... It, I, I'm guessing maybe it's at least the third temple.
0: Okay. Because... Because they keep getting it destroyed.
1: Yeah, well, and even the second temple would have been about 470 years old when Jesus said... right. Tear down this town. It's hard for a building to last that long, hmm. especially when you have enemies
3: <laughs> setting it on fire. I feel like there's a lot of, like, people who think that the Freemasons are, like, kind of like a Christian-adjacent really? group.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, like, there's, they, like, had, it's like a Girl Scout type of group. Okay. Like, but it, like, back in the day. The
1: Eastern Star. Yeah. That's the girl side of it. hmm
3: And they were, like, I was just talking with somebody when I went back home where they went to, like, one of the meetings there and, like, came away and they were just, like, this is nothing, like, this is really bad and, like, really cultish. Weird. Yeah. Because we have to sign something um, to be licensed saying that we're specifically not. For um, the Freemasons. Free Masons. Whoa. Yeah, oh, the yeah, CMA
1: yeah. is against secret organizations. Sure. <laughs> but they mention the Masons by name, don't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, you mean you to be
0: licensed in the CMA? Yeah. You have to yeah. claim to not be a Freemason. Yeah, I forgot
1: yeah. about that. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Charles Finney wrote an entire book against the Freemasons. Who was Charles Finney? He was the great revivalist preacher of the 19th century. I mean, truly great. He was, at the very least, on par with D.L. Moody. Some people would say he was better than D.L. Moody. And he was the president of Oberlin College, which probably means nothing to anybody outside of Ohio, but (laughs) Oberlin College was the school that was part of the Underground Railroad. They were the first college in America to be coeducational. Hmm. So it was a very progressive Christian college hmm. in the nineteenth century and now it's very liberal. Okay. Wouldn't nobody would even think, what
0: it's Christian? <laughs> there are a lot of Christian adjacent groups, a surprising amount. I mean, you talked about the Back in the day, the Seventh-day Adventists, Mm -hmm. and and sort of how that's changed over the years to become a little more...
1: Mainstream. Mainstream.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you... Do the Mormons count as, like, Christian adjacent? Yeah, I would say so. And then... um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses. Christian Science, kind of. Christian Science, yeah.
3: Yeah. Tom Cruise, <laughs>
0: <laughs> one man of eschatology.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think that's Christian. It's yeah. not. Well <laughs> not. It's like
1: I mean, every religion has their cult groups. Sure, and those are our cult groups: Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, probably Christian Science. She said she read the book, the Bible, over one weekend. So obviously, she was a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that that either. What do you know about Christian scientists? (laughs) It's it's just the forerunner of the New Age movement. Okay. Uh That's why you don't hear anything about it anymore. The New Agers just kind of pushed them off the map. That's all? That's all I know? Oh, I don't know. Well, no, they they believe that no one should be sick. Ever. Mm -hmm. Yes, that your mind can overcome illness. The amazing thing was, Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Scientism... Mm -hmm was always sick, mm. and she was a freeloader. So she just would live with rich people, do her weird Christian science stuff. Somehow they all fell for it. So Christian Scientism is typically pretty well-to-do
3: people.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, Their uh, temple in Boston is amazing Yeah, the building. Wow. There's,
3: there's one in Chicago right off the Chicago river mm-hmm. um, by Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. I went to open house Chicago and they like let people in yeah. and like, I got to talk to some of the parishioners there and it was yeah really interesting.
2: Yeah. I have, I just brought up my notes on it from a few years back when I was doing a bunch of research on different religions. It says uh, the Bible and, and I love this. If, this is like just when you hear this. If your brain doesn't scream weird cult, then maybe you're a Christian scientist. <laughs> Science and health with key to the scriptures mm-hmm. by Mary Baker Eddy. Those are the those are the two key texts. Okay. Uh, creation is entirely spiritual and perfect, and matter does not exist. Sin, sickness, and death don't exist. People only think that they do. Jesus is not God, but the Son of God. Jesus. This is a quote. I guess. Jesus is the name of the man who more than all other men has presented Christ, the true idea of God, healing the sick and sinning and destroying the power of death. Jesus, human nature is a separate entity from the divine Christ. The Holy spirit is divine science. When the disciples received the Holy spirit, they were aroused to an enlarged understanding of divine science. There is no Trinity, but the threefold nature of God defined as a Trinity of life, truth, and love or God, the Father, Mother, Christ, the spiritual idea of sonship and divine science, or the holy comforter. Salvation is life, truth, and love understood and demonstrated as supreme over all sin, sickness, and death, destroyed. Baptism and communion are both spiritual, not physical. Illness and sinner states of mind and correctable through properly applied prayer. Wow.
1: that yet they die
0: <laughs> 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 that kind of stuff so uh, to me it, uh, the idea of christian adjacent whether it's religious groups cult groups whatever like it makes it makes me upset more upset than the existence of other religions, right? Cuz at least other religions wouldn't claim like, yeah, you know, we're
2: Christian, like we're we're right there with you. Scott, I just, I didn't really think that I wanted to read this cuz it's a little bit I mean not that much longer than what I already read, but but this is worth hearing, I think, because okay. one thing that you'll find or one thing that I found when I was researching Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science is that if you look at like their statement of faith, it would be very easy to be misled. Hmm. And you'll you'll probably pick up on some little weird things here and there in this, but a lot of these first few things, sounds sounds pretty good. Uh, as adherents of truth, these are their tenets. As adherents of truth, we take the inspired word of the Bible as our sufficient guide to eternal life. We acknowledge and adore one supreme and infinite God. We acknowledge his Son, one Christ, the Holy Ghost, our divine comforter, and man in God's image and likeness. We acknowledge God's forgiveness of sin in the destruction of sin and the spiritual understanding that casts out evil as unreal. Eh, That's a little weird. But the belief in sin is punished so long as the belief lasts. We acknowledge Jesus' atonement as the evidence of divine, efficacious love, unfolding man's unity with God through Christ Jesus, the way-shower. And we acknowledge that man is saved through Christ, through truth, life, and love, as demonstrated by the Galilean prophet in healing the sick and overcoming sin and death. We acknowledge that the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection served to uplift Faith to understand eternal life, even the allness of soul, spirit, and the nothingness of matter. And we solemnly promise to watch and pray for that mind to be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. That sounds very familiar. To do unto others as we would have them do unto us, and to be merciful, just, and pure. So like, there's definitely a few things in there that like, should raise red flags. Right. But if you're not really well-versed in Christianity, sure, a lot of that would probably sound like, yeah. Yeah, right. And especially if you don't know like what the word Christ means,
0: yeah. right? Like I'm, I wouldn't <clears throat> just say that I am like super familiar with what the word Christ means. Um, but it makes me think like how important is the specificity of like the Apostles' Creed? Mm. Like how important is it that they say like Jesus Christ who? Um, shoot, I can't remember it. What me is? Th- either. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, how important is it to leave absolutely, like, no room for interpretation when you're saying, like, Jesus, who is God, who is the Son of God, who's part of the Trinity, who came and lived a sinless life and died and rose again three days later. Like, man, Mm -hmm. because leaving that door open, like, allows for all kinds of weird God-plus stuff to move in.
1: You notice, though, that Creed had nothing... Touching history. Mm. It was just all Mm. floating out there. And that's what I love about Christianity. It's grounded in truth of history. Things that are tangible. Sure. Mm -hmm.
0: A specific time and place that things happened. Mm. That's true. Uh, well, I'll say it again. Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would-you-rathers, trivia quizzes, uh, and your cult group, your Christian-adjacent cult group to podcast at BloomingdaleChurch.org. I think next week we should do a deep dive on the Apostles' Creed. I'm saying it now. That
2: would be awesome. Um, the Apostles' Creed that we all know so well. That we all know. <laughs> we we
1: even recite <laughs> at the table. <laughs> The to, church Nancy Calvin so. grew up in. They all recited it on sure. Sunday. I
0: mean, and I had... Your to... church
1: probably did that. Presbyterian?
0: Uh, it was like once a quarter. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think it was the day of our congregational meeting every quarter we would recite the yeah. Apostles' Creed. Um, I had to know it for Christian thought. Uh, anyway, you can send in your, your various accoutrements to podcast at BloomingdaleChurch.org, just like Bruce did. Bruce says, and I quote, do some book reviews. Anything but the Bible. Daniel, <laughs> <laughs> end quote. Daniel, you love, uh, thank you, Bruce, you love books more than anything, more than anyone, more than anyone else I know. I gotta be careful how I phrase them. <laughs> Are you reading anything right now?
3: I am. Um, so I'm reading a, a new book. It's called, um, it's about um, common grace. Ooh. Which is, um, which is really interesting. I just started that last night, um, and it's like puts brings in something that I like just take for granted, and I've never really like thought about common grace mm. and how God like works in the small details for for everybody, for the really quick. Can you like what is common grace? Common grace, uh, basically, the this thought that there are. Different things that God does that um that benefit all of humankind. Hmm. Um that He helps out with. Um, for example, like technology use. Um and I think that the example one of the illustrations the author brought up was the invention of the helicopter and um relation to how it saves people, hmm. like from flooding buildings. Hmm. And like hmm. People are expectant of God to do big giant, miraculous things so much that sometimes they miss out God in the details and mm-hmm. the small everyday aspects of life, yeah. and just um going into that um especially in this it was written during the pandemic, so he's like kind of reminding us that even though like life can be really rough and hard, like God's in the details, God's around, mm-hmm. and he's not. He's not distant. He's close. Hmm. So that's, that's a really good good read. And then I'm also reading um, 400 Souls, which is a. It's described as a community history of African America. So each chapter covers five years of history from 1619 to um, 2019. Wow. And just talking about oh. history hmm. of African Americans. So that's been interesting as well. Wow.
0: I'll jump in and say uh, I started reading The Color of Compromise, which was recommended to me by two of my three favorite Daniels, uh, Daniel Reem and uh, Daniel Wright, um, by Jamar Tisby, uh, the other one being Dan Marcello is my other oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Actually, I, I want to bring up something that uh, he brings up in the first chapter, talking about um, Virginia, the Virginian General Assembly in 1667 mm-hmm. uh, puts this act into law Um, declaring that baptism of slaves does not exempt them from bondage. Um, Essentially saying uh, the custom in England for, well, I'll just read the quote. Custom in England had long been that Christians being spiritual brothers and sisters could not enslave one another. And so the slave owners in the European colonies tried to keep their slaves from hearing the gospel Um, and saying like, you know, sort of keeping them from from being evangelized to. And so the General Assembly passes this law saying, hey, it's okay to evangelize to your slaves because it's not going to free them. If they're baptized, they're not going to be freed. And specifically, they say, uh, masters, masters freed from this doubt may more carefully endeavor the propagation of Christianity, which is fascinating. Um, that essentially they say like, the um like the virginian general assembly which uh tisby says was made up of of anglican anglican men um you know kind of come to this conclusion that like the economic incentives are such that if if these people these slave owners believe that baptizing their slaves will free them they will just commit them to hell like they will just not They'll protect them from evangelism, so to speak, um, and so they make the decision to to say, "Nah, like you can have a slave be baptized and be a Christian and still enslave him." Um, and there's a, a lot, a lot involved in that law, and a lot to to unpack in it. Um, but what sickens me is the fact that, like, it almost makes sense in, like, a in, like, the worst kind of way. Like, and I hate that, that the way that, like, incentives kind of coalesce or, like, you know, saying, like, well, they're going to do it anyway. So we might as well, like, you know, make the most of a bad situation. Um, and... Yeah, I I think it's funny the it's called the book is called The Color of Compromise and like that's your first one. Um in, mm-hmm. in 1667 is like, hey, like we got to you know make a decision about what matters most and um and it reminded me of when I believe it's Ephesus when the idol makers riot um because of the preaching that's happening there and then they're it's threatening them financially mm-hmm. and so they go and they um, they they riot and they burn down the town and they try and find, I think it's Paul and Timothy. Um, might be Barnabas at that point. Um, and like the thought of, you know, if as a slave owner, your financial incentive is enough that you would restrict someone from hearing the gospel. Well, then like you're not a Christian. At least you're not listening to the Great Commission. Um, and so that was that that's like what that sort of reminded me of was protecting our, our financial interests before we follow the direct orders of Jesus. Uh, the last thing that Jesus
1: said in, in the gospel of Matthew. Um, <laughs> yeah. Matthew 28 verse 21. You don't see it in your Bible, but it says, be sure to take care of your financial interests. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so yeah, that's what I've, that's what I've been reading. I don't like, I, I spent a while trying to come up with like a question based on this other than like, do you experience the abject horror that I do from that <laughs> snippet of history?
3: Well, one, like, <clears throat> because Jamar Tisby wrote a chapter on that in the book I'm reading too. Oh. Um, so one thing that I've been going back and forth on is figuring out how freedom is looked and like tying your spiritual life to your physical life Mm. and how that like intertwines Um, because at first we see this idea that once a slave was baptized and they'd also be like in the physical world um, physically be free Mm -hmm. so we see a tying of both spiritual and physical freedom and then That's when, like, there weren't as many slaves in in, um, America at that point. Yeah. So it wasn't as big of an economic, like, kickback. Once it increased, then they still saw that connection. So then they didn't share the gospel. But then here they split that connection of spiritual freedom and physical freedom. And one thing that I've been, like, trying to think through, because Paul was imprisoned, He was, like, physically not free, but he had so much freedom in Christ. So one thing I've been really, like, trying to see is, like, how do they, how do you hold both of them as true, but when you're lacking one of them, not thinking you lack the other, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's been an interesting thing I've been, like, thinking through when it comes to freedom um, in general as a Christian. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, while we're sitting here, I'm thinking, those Southern preachers during the Civil War era, they would use the Bible to say, "It's all right to have slaves." Mm-hmm. thinking, "What about all those sections in the Bible talk about freeing your slaves after seven years?" Mm-hmm. That never seemed to happen. So you think, "Boy, <clears throat> you're really cherry-picking mm-hmm. and Anybody who reads the Bible is going to come across those verses. It's not like some obscure passage only mentioned once. This this keeps coming up over and over again, <coughs> that you're to free your slaves.
2: Hmm. Hmm. <coughs> Scott? I don't know if I really have anything <laughs> meaningful to contribute. I mean, it's it's like looking at that situation sort of like well if that's the best you can do then I guess it's better than nothing because <laughs> like I did I mean Frank well it's a lot better than nothing you know mm-hmm. it's it's really the most important thing it's just you know <clears throat> if if assuming that that resulted in, in more slaves being evangelized mm-hmm. and coming to, to know the gospel which I mean looking at the history of of like spirituals and, and the black church in America mm-hmm. it seems like it did result in that uh, like that's good and that's really good um it's unfortunate that that i mean i guess that the really the worst part here uh i mean and this maybe it doesn't even need to be said maybe it goes without saying but the worst part here is that that slave owners would actively prevent their slaves from like trying to from being evangelized to for the sake of their bottom line right like <clears throat> the idea of them freeing them when they were baptized like that's cool I mean, obviously, we're kind of trying to find silver linings in a pretty dark era of history, but like that's, that, I like that idea that, you know, we really shouldn't be enslaving our brothers in Christ and sisters. Um, and then the idea of, like, hey, we want, if, if this was the motivation, like, hey, we don't want these people to be condemned to hell just because you're too selfish to, like, that's good. So there's good parts in this, um, but... Mm-hmm. Want to hear something really dark? Sure. <laughs> couldn't happen
1: in our era hmm. because we don't keep the Sabbath. They were keeping the Sabbath. Hmm. And they didn't work their slaves in the fields on the Sabbath. And they would have the church services and the slaves would run their own services. Now, with our setup, we have a 24-7, 365-day work, 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 work. They just... The, the slave owner mm-hmm. would just say, we all work all the time. We don't mm-hmm. have any time for God and church. Mm-hmm. We're actually worse than them. Mm-hmm. That's one way of looking at it, that we're worse than them.
2: That is interesting. It maybe is a little bit less deliberate, but this idea that you know, oh, if you're allowing your job or... If you're allowing your kid here, here's a sore spot. You're allowing your kid's sports schedules to get in the way of them participating in church and and growing in their faith in that way. You know how different is that? What are you, what are you protecting at the expense of your or their spiritual growth?
3: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> a little. A little. T- Bit of hope is that in seeing this area of history, we see that even though there were people who were treated very poorly, they got a little bit of the gospel and they didn't. And it's, yeah, it took off. Took off. Yeah. And I, it's just like so amazing (laughs) to think that. No no other like place would you think of somebody who is like actively oppressing you, sharing religion with you right. and you also like seeing the benefit of that, yeah, and growing and like keeping keeping the faith, yeah, so it just shows shows the power of the gospel that oh, it's yeah.
1: Just, yeah and not just saying, well, this is pretty good for me, but I think on the whole, you'd have to say the black slaves out paced the slave owner mm-hmm, when it comes mm-hmm. to Christianity yeah. mm-hmm. that they did turn the other cheek mm. and whew, I mean, really you think of how outnumbered the slave owners were. How is it that they weren't getting killed constantly, constantly, but somebody just coming in and the slaves are working in the house. What, what kept those women from just running a dagger through the heart of a slave owner? I, I, I don't know of any stories like that. I'm Surely there's mm-hmm. got to be one out there, but I, I don't know any stories like that. And you think, man, it really took hold. Mm-hmm. It really took hold. The Holy Spirit was working mm-hmm. through them, and there were all these great preachers that cropped up even though they were uneducated the holy spirit educated them and they Mm -hmm. preached and then look at all the great music that grew up traditional spiritual christian music that they composed right in the cotton fields man it's it's impressive Mm -hmm. which shows what jesus said if the son of man shall set you free you shall be free indeed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and here we have it in american history we're embarrassed by slavery and yet God is so powerful that mm. He brings a lot of good out of that which was truly evil,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and we're we're seeing the fruit of it today. We're we're seeing a lot of good.
0: Yeah, we got to get into the topic of the week, Scott. I'm gonna have to wait and hear what book you're reading next week. Same with you, Bill. <laughs> I'm uh, not reading. <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> never reading. Um, <laughs> I would hope. My hope is, and I'd like you to correct me if I'm wrong, just is my final thought on this, is if the church, if the alliance or, you know, just whoever, right, six, the 1600s, mid-1600s America was very different um, for about 100 reasons, Um but if the church was presented with a group of people, even a majority of people in the congregation or whatever, who were intentionally prohibiting people from hearing the gospel for the sake of their, um, of their bottom line, like that we wouldn't go like a half measure. That's like you can keep exploiting your workers, just make sure they're Christians. Um, and we would say like, no, the way you're treating your employees, the way you're treating your slaves, the way, you know, that is a reflection of your faith. Like that's a reflection of who you understand God to be and who you understand yourself to be because of him. Um, and that we wouldn't take a half measure of saying, look, like you could treat him how you want. As long as you're also like, you know, saving their souls, like, like, It is amazing to me, and I I appreciate what you've been talking about because it's like it's amazing to me that the gospel took such a great hold in the lives of African Americans when the people who were showing it to them were completely two faced about it. Um, And I mean, that's a testament to the purity of the gospel and also Mm -hmm. the fact that the gospel's always done best under pressure um, and under uh, exploitation and under. Whatever that word is that I can't remember. Um, (laughs) Persecution. Um, Topic of the week this week is brought to you once again by the Bloomingdale Church app. You can take the Bloomingdale Church app with you on the go, connect and engage with our community through the Bloomingdale Church app, watch messages, give conveniently, submit prayer requests, and more. The Bloomingdale Church (coughs) app available in the App Store and on the Google Play Store, as well as by texting the word APP to 833-892-6207. For Topic of the Week this week, we are returning to our recurring segment on the 316s of the Bible, um, that is to say, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 of various books of the Bible, so long as it is not John 316. Uh, anything but the Bible. Forget anything <laughs> but the Bible, please. Uh, Bill, what verse did you bring
1: today? All right, right, Second Timothy 316. Ooh noise. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I like this passage a lot because the inspiration and we'll call it perfection of the scriptures is maligned. You can't trust the scriptures is what the world says. But the Bible itself says no all scriptures inspired of god which is good that the bible says that because mm. if it didn't say that then you'd think maybe we're making this stuff up but we're not uh, i one of my favorite verses in conjunction with this is proverbs 30 verse 5 every word of god is flawless mm. he's a shield to those who take refuge in him i think whoa so the Bible sets the standard really high for itself. We're, it's the inspired Word of God. It's perfect. Would we know
0: that the Bible was, like, would we consider Scripture infallible
1: if it wasn't for that verse? I, I tell you, this is close to my heart because when I went to seminary, <laughs> I knew... I was called to go into the ministry, and yet I wasn't sure the Bible was the inerrant word of God. Whoa. I thought there could be mistakes in here. And and so I had questions like, how do we know we have the right books in the Bible?
0: Right. Right. Because Timothy doesn't say, like, <laughs> you know, he
1: doesn't list out the letters written by Paul or right. God-breathed. <laughs> but, Are there some other ones that we should have included? Are there some that we should have deleted? Yeah. <clears throat> so I spent the first year in seminary writing all my papers on the question of inerrancy. Wow. And would tackle subjects. Like, I remember one of them was, does Second Peter belong in the Bible? Because of all the... <laughs> books in the New Testament, that was the one that sometimes got left off of different lists hmm. that it belonged. And it got left off a list for two reasons. One was it was written with the name Peter attached to it. And there are a lot of nefarious books in that era hmm. that have Peter's name associated with it in an attempt to pull the wool over people's eyes. Yeah. And the other reason it gets left off of the list is it's one of the last books in the New Testament, so sometimes a page would get torn off, so to speak,, yeah. and oh well, we don't have Revelation, and we don't have Second Peter, like yeah, those ones at the very end of the scroll they got torn off sometimes, mm-hmm. but I came to the conclusion that, oh no, Second Peter's inspired Word of God. And so if the toughest book to get in is the Inspired Word of God. That made it a lot easier to accept the rest of the mm, New Testament, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why I preach with real conviction that this is this is the Word of God. This sure, isn't yeah. some poem that I found in Reader's Digest. <laughs> this, is, this is the Word of God. you got to really pay attention
0: to this. Yeah. And the process of selecting Scripture is something that we've talked a, a fair amount on the the show, including our first episode and then a couple more Um But uh, that is a question as well of, you know, when in second Timothy saying like all scripture is God breathed, like Mm -hmm. what defines scripture? And so I think it's really cool that you had that question going in. And so you just went after it for a year
1: (laughs) till you were satisfied. I was blessed to be able to go after it for a year. My concern was if I found out it's not true, then Mm. I wasn't going to go in the ministry because I felt that Mm -hmm. would be dishonest. how do you go into the ministry and you don't even believe in the Bible? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: Scott? Um, you may recall from our last 316 episode um, that I had a, a list of a couple that I wanted to talk about, so I'm just going to work my way down the list. Um, So the next one on my list is Daniel 3.16. Great Mm. name. Check that one out. (laughs) Daniel 3.16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Wow. Um, So the context of what's going on here, many of you probably know, is that at this time the uh, Israelites have been taken into captivity um, in Babylon, and they are... um, so obviously, not in their not in their homeland, not under the rulership of their own kings. Um, and so they're under the rulership of King Nebuchadnezzar, um, who is a very interesting person. Uh, and <laughs> at this point in the story, he has made a, a big statue. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head if it's a statue of himself or if it's just a statue. Um, isn't it a
3: statue of a bunny? Yeah, it's a giant <laughs> bunny, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: and, uh, he tells everyone to worship it and he says, if you don't worship it, Thank you're you going to get thrown into this furnace and you're going to burn to death. And, uh, so, um, the time comes for everyone to worship it. And these three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are, who are Jewish uh, exiles, don't worship it. And, uh, Nebuchadnezzar prepares to throw them in. Uh, He says in verse, what is this? Verse 13? 15? Oh, 15. Wow, 15 is a long verse. He says, um, When you hear the sound of of all these instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And their response is, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Uh, and then they go on to say, and this is probably the more famous part of the verse, but uh, if we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Hmm. Uh, but I just really love that that first reaction of, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, as I have thought a little bit about this, um, you know i think the takeaway here is not that we don't need to defend ourselves or defend our faith or defend our actions because you know in the new testament it does say you you'll know, be ready to give kind of a defense of of what you believe but i think that um being able to uh, articulate why you believe what you believe mm. is different than what's going on here and i think this is um more of them saying like we like we don't need to justify ourselves to you like you're you're not like you're not we're not having a a conversation here. Like you're just basically persecuting us. And I think the response is really cool. Basically saying like, we don't, we don't need you to change your mind about us. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't need you to be okay with what we're doing. Um, We don't need to have your approval of what we're doing um, because we serve a God who's much bigger than you. And, and the statue that you've set up, and I just think that's really cool. And I think that in in uh, you know potentially hostile environments, you know it can be really easy uh, to feel like a strong need to like, you know, argue our way out of you know the situation to change this other person's mind to. You know, to justify ourselves in their sights and prove, that, you know, we are smart. We are, we know what we're talking about. We are, we're not just, you know, blind, blindly going along with this. Um, but I think here is just a good reminder: like, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Hmm. You know, in in the context of, I think it's in First Peter or Second Peter, you know, where it does say, "Be ready to give a reason for your faith." I think that's, you know, in the context of of conversations where the person actually wants to know, and that's good. But in the context of persecutions, you know. I don't think you need to feel like you're mm-hmm. less than because this person is treating you as such. Right. Um, so I just, I like that. I like that statement. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. Mm. You know, your, your, your opinion of what we believe ultimately doesn't mean anything yeah. because our God is much greater than that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I wonder if there's a connection because part of me thinks like, Oh, like, we should defend our, like, it's just naturally, like, defending ourselves, but is that coming from a place of, like, wanting to make yourself greater? Mm -hmm. And then Jesus is saying, like, kind of flipping the script, and here we see Israelites who are being made low and are humbled, and, like, we're not going to try to, like, scrape and try to defend ourselves. We're We're going to be humble or we're going to be humble, trust in God. And the biggest thing is always gets me like going into the fire. They would have been just as fine. Like if they would have just burned up in the fire Hmm. and they would, yeah, they would be, they'd be with, with God and in glory in that, in that moment afterwards and they would have been just fine. Like yeah, either way was a win-win for them. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, and also looking at the question that I don't know, this seems like more of a rhetorical question, but it is a question asked. And then their, their immediate, res- or immediate response is we don't need to defend ourselves. He says, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You know, again, it seems rhetorical, but like maybe it was not entirely rhetorical. And maybe he was saying, you know, like, and they're basically saying that like, we don't need to defend God before you in this matter. Like, right. God is going to do what he's going to do. Maybe he'll show himself to you by saving us from this furnace. Maybe he won't, but like we don't need to defend him mm-hmm. to you. That might be a component to it. It's not what they're saying, you know, in word for word, but hmm. maybe there's a part of it that's a response to that question. If that question wasn't entirely rhetorical. Hmm. Do they show up in the Hall of Faith? I, think so. I don't think so. I
3: don't think so.
0: They got snubbed. <laughs> <laughs> I would have voted for him. Gideon shows up. And <laughs> <Shane> <laughs> Am I right? Like, Come on. <laughs> Gideon is uh-huh. base is golden baseball hat. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, yeah, well, yeah. So it's like also like the context of exile, when like. God's people are being punished for not being faithful, but right. we still see some of His people being faithful. Yeah, and yet is, they're
0: still in exile. Yeah, they're still in exile, just like everybody else. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but I think that's really cool. Yeah, um, and also that they stuck it out. They weren't like, "What kind of God would punish me
3: for the sins of my neighbors?" Like they're they're still there. Yeah, I mean, another sidebar: Daniel. I think it's Daniel nine, in like his prayer. To God, like Daniel, like takes up and like takes ownership for the sins of all the people, Mm. and like this, like not a concept we see like we see a lot in the Old Testament. This, and I guess in Jesus, like this idea that the idea of corporate sin, yeah, which is like that's a deep rabbit hole that I don't know enough about to talk about, but it's interesting. Yeah. That we see that a little foretaste of that at the beginning too. Yeah. Of Daniel. Daniel?
0: What uh chapter did you bring? Um or what what book? I know what I, chapter.
3: <laughs> you know what chapter? Do you know what first? I think so. I can uh, guess. <laughs> Do you have a guess? Three oh, yeah. sixteen? Oh yeah. Um Galatians. Ooh. Galatians three sixteen. Galatians is probably my favorite favorite book in the Bible. Oh. So It says, says this. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Uh, And then Paul goes on to pretty much explain that this is is showing that the, the promise of the seed, like, overrules or is wasn't interrupted by the law coming into place. Yeah. The law had nothing the law was very important. Wasn't saying that it was bad and completely like worthless. That's not what Paul's saying. He's just saying that the promise of the Messiah and the seed, Jesus, was like not connected to the law, which is why he's like is people in the Church of Galatia, we're trying to focus on the law and trying mm. to be like, oh, you have, to, you have to do this. You have to be circumcised to be a Christian. And Paul's like, no, like our hope is not in the law. Our hope is in the one who fulfilled the law, mm. who was promised before the law. Yeah. So um, find a, a lot of hope and peace in knowing that like ever since like Abraham and adam and eve like christ was in the picture mm-hmm. and jesus fulfilling the law was always part of the plan and paul bringing that up here to be like don't don't get so caught up in the law that you miss the one that it's pointing us to yeah and sometimes like it's really easy oh, i was listening to something where they're saying now, nowadays, some Christians think like the Holy Trinity is um God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible um, <laughs> and we get so focused on reading the Bible that we miss like the, the Trinity and like mm. the Holy Spirit and like yeah. and God breathed his Word to mm. speak to us, yeah, but like sometimes we can and I know people who dive so deep into. Scriptures and they can miss the point. Mm. They can miss the one that it's pointing us to. Yeah. Mm. And I think this is just a great reminder of that. Um, man, I could talk about Galatians forever. It's a great book. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Luther loved Galatians. Really? Yeah. He did. But he that? hated James. Yeah. Right. He didn't want it to be in the
0: Bible. Yep. Which, you know, given. <laughs> What he was up against, <laughs> the kinds yeah. of things he was angry about, I yeah. can understand why he didn't want that. Why did he love Galatians?
3: Um, because it was all it was all about like Grace don't focus on, on that control. Yeah, yeah. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on the law um, and legalism and stuff like that. And I took a class on Galatians. It was my favorite, my favorite class I took at Crown. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so. I got to read his commentary on Galatians, which was also kind of fun. I bet. But, yeah. Listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can
0: send questions and would-you-rathers and trivia quizzes and your wedding verses to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org for our closing segment this week. It's time for bets. I haven't edited any of the podcasts for the last three weeks, meaning as soon as we stop recording, uh, I will have four episodes to finish, so my question to you is very simple. This time next week, how many of those episodes will I have finished and uploaded loaded to spotify (laughs) um now to keep this fair i am not going to look at what answers you give until this time next week um so here there's a couple pens on the table
2: you said you're going to start editing them today uh tomorrow tomorrow and there's four total that's
3: right now there's four
2: there
0: are four so out of four Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> so go ahead and write your name and a number. There's a pen for it. Right on the finger. Write your name and a number out of four.
3: I wrote I wrote in Sharpie, so I don't want you to read through it. So, yeah. Well, if I guess, I guess if I fold it a lot, then you know it's mine. Perfect. Well, that's. I mean, I'm gonna. Know, you
1: wrote your name on it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you wrote.
3: <it. laughs>
1: That's the bigger way I'm going to know.
0: Sweet. Next week, I want to talk about the Apostles' Creed. I want to talk about Scott's sermon. I want to talk about experiencing the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want to talk about what you two are reading for the sake of Bruce Gaylord. Um, Anything with the Bible. There are so many segments we didn't get to today. That is more than all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Daniel. Thank Thank you, you, Max. Max.
1: (laughs) Bill. Take us home. You have been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast brought to you from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the heart of the nation.
0: <sighs> yeah. This is gonna I be. I think the middle three are all pretty good. Bruce yeah. is gonna have a couple appearances on this show. We're doing a listener mail from him. Wow! Wow! Um, Thanks, Bruce. This is brought the Bruce Gaylord podcast is sponsored by viewers like you and Juicy Juice. Juicy <laughs> Bruce's Juicy Juice. Frick! What is it? <laughs> juicy Bruces. juice. Juicy Bruce. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hello everyone and welcome to the bloomingdale church
2: jiff peanut butter
0: Andy. that's right it's jiff choosy
2: moms choose jiff
0: that's right not juicy juice that's 100% juice for 100% bruise. Juicy juice <laughs> choosy bruises choose brucey juice <laughs> i like 100% juice for 100% bruise because <laughs> it's 100% juice for 100% kids Yeah.